the cool and interesting thing about adaptogens is that they support the body's ability to, like the intrinsic ability of the body to stay at homeostasis, to stay at that kind of optimal, balanced, safe, functioning, harmonious level. And by doing so, they help the body deal with all the, you know, all the challenges that come, the stresses, the illnesses, the toxins, physical, emotional, whatever it is, like adaptogens help our body with the appropriate response. Welcome to the HTW Podcast. I'm Zoe Sakudis. And I'm Erica Huss. We're the founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. As industry pioneers, we continue to be fascinated by this rapidly evolving world of wellness. The good, the bad, and the what the fork? We think wellness should feel inclusive, not preachy. So every week, we're having candid conversations with health experts, entrepreneurs, and all-around impressive people we think you should know. We swap tales from the trenches and dive deep into the health topics and practices we're excited about. If you like what you hear, you can thank us by giving us a five-star rating. All five stars are free. And tell a friend, because sharing is caring. Put that in your gratitude journal. Bonus! We even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of bringing you real information you can actually use. Think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Hey, Zoe. Hey there, Erica. What's shaking? Me, because it's freezing outside. It's like (laughs) 30 degrees outside today in New York. It's getting a little icy, but... Yes. Holiday spirit is alive and well. It's the holiday Hanukkah season. Hanukkah is upon us and Christmas is a week away. Oh, boy. And you just gave me the most lovely Christmas gift yesterday. Thank you so Aww. much for my mushroom. You're welcome. My Thank- ceramic mushroom <laughs> that has the most beautiful brown glaze on it. It's so pretty. Ugh, the words beautiful brown and glaze don't normally go together oh, all well, that well. Unless, unless you're talking, talking about, about a donut. donut. <laughs> In which case, or a ceramic mushroom. Yes, or a ceramic mushroom. Thank you. Um, Mushrooms are amazing. And we had Paul Kempesty on to confirm that and tell us so much more than we already knew. Yeah. So he is an acupuncturist and herbalist and Chinese Chinese medicine medicine. practitioner. Yes. Um, And he... uh, He's been on before. Yeah. We wanted to talk to him specifically about this magical kingdom of fungi uh, because, and we're not talking specifically about culinary and we're also not talking specifically about psychotropic, psychedelic, trippy mushrooms, but kind of somewhere in between the medicinal mushroom category, which is really fascinating. Yeah, it's a lot. There are a lot of mushrooms in that kingdom. I think there are like 10,000 different species, which is a lot more than- That's quite a lot. The plant. Um, but they have these incredible properties. And um, I think it's great that they're sort of gaining a little bit of popularity now. We're starting to see them pop up in different like foods and beverages and stuff. So. Yeah, I think in general, we're seeing a, the, a, just an increased interest in using yeah, adaptogens, which we'll get into all these definitions because I think a lot of people hear these buzzwords, they don't really know what they mean. Um, but the idea around using roots and plants and herbs for healing purposes instead of relying on traditional you know, medicines, medications, obviously it's nothing new in this conversation because yeah. we're all about you know nutritional wellness. But I think it was really interesting to have him 
break down some of the science and really share what is not even debatable in terms of the benefits of this particular kingdom. Yes, it is the most studied superfood people. So take note and um, write some of the shit down because yeah. it's like you got to go find it and figure out what you how you can apply it to your life because the benefits are truly um, incredible. So please to enjoy Paul Kempesty and mushrooms, adaptogenic mushrooms, <laughs> functional mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms, whatever we want to call them. Just shroom it. All right. Well, here we are. Here we are again with Mr. Paul Kempesty. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Welcome, Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank We're you. happy to have you again. It was um, such a wealth of knowledge and information that we thought uh, we need to tap into your brain again. Happy to do so. <laughs> so yeah, we um, we've become increasingly interested in mushrooms, as one does. As one does, um, it's definitely, I would say, a very hot topic at the moment. At least to me, I don't know. It's one of those things where I think the idea around any kind of brain boosting or or behavior adapting herbs and foods and all of that that's that's definitely in the, in the conversation right now, which. Mushrooms are part of that, and I think we want to break down yeah, where they live in that in that category of yeah. ingredients. It's getting confusing, I think. And um, Paul is going to give us some some clarity, and you are so equipped to do so because you are not only an acupuncturist, but studied Chinese medicine and herbs and all that good stuff. Indeed. Um, yeah. So last time you heard, actually, we just really focused on acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And all the amazing benefits, and it was fascinating. We've both been doing acupuncture for quite some time now. Uh, I can't imagine my life without it. But this time, so we're going to focus on mushrooms, um, specifically medicinal mushrooms. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about the fun, trippy ones, okay. psychotropic ones. But um, you know, they fall under this umbrella of adaptogens, right? Correct, yes. And we have been hearing that word a lot lately for the past couple of years, at least. And I think increasingly so. And now we're looking at 2020. Uh, And so, you know, it's getting a little bit confusing. And I think um, for the consumer, especially because they're starting to see it pop up in so many different food and beverage products. And it's, you know, it's become this sort of like tossed around vague term. No one totally understands what it means. The consumer just thinks it's like this added benefit. It's like, well, can't hurt me. And I'm sure mm-hmm. it's doing me some good. I'm not sure what good it's doing me exactly or what the hell an adaptogen is, but um, I'll take it. And I guess I'll pay a little bit more for it. So I think we want to focus today on just breaking down, you know, the difference, between, well, the different types of adaptogens because we're, we want to, Really get, um, you know, we, we want to get specific with uh, adaptogenic mushrooms, but there are other types of adaptogens. And then we want to talk a little bit about, you know, difference between adaptogens, nootropics, and all that other good stuff. So why don't we just start with the big burning question? What the hell are adaptogens? Can I get to that in a second? Please, yeah. Okay. Do, why don't we start <laughs> with where you want to start? Yeah. <laughs> that was nice. But yeah. the, the first thing you said was like people are starting to get interested in mushrooms. Yeah. And I think in general, like one thing that struck me as an herbalist is that uh, America isn't a very mushroom-friendly culture. It's like, not. It's not. Yeah. A lot of Americans aren't really fond of mushrooms. They don't love mushrooms. Well, like culinary mushrooms or... May, like maybe a slice on your pizza or on right. your salad. Right. But well, like, we're picky eaters. And, and people yeah. pick them off anyway, right? right. I, I'm Polish. I grew up in Australia. 
and ch- study Chinese medicine. And in Europe and in Asia, people love mushrooms. Like, yeah. like they are built in, like no one had to advertise and tell you that they're a superfood or an adaptogen or a nootropic. Like people love mushrooms mm-hmm. and they consume them. They put them in everything and they're, you know, the weirder and wilder, the better kind of thing. And I think Americans are just getting interested in kind of the broader spectrum of mushrooms. And where, where I, why I wanted to go back is that like it comes, I think it branches off from Americans in general being a little bit more interested in herbs mm-hmm. and natural healing and initially adaptogens that are more in the botanical category. And that gradually over the last few years has kind of spilled into a bit of more consciousness and seeking about you know, other forms of adaptogens and nootropics and tonic herbs. And that has got us to mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And then, so, and speaking about that, I think interesting distinctions would be for people to know or think about like tonic herbs versus medicinal herbs versus nootropics versus adaptogens. Mm-hmm. And so, like tonic herbs, uh, which are a, kind of a large umbrella that covers adaptogens and nootropics as well, uh, herbs that are kind of what we think of as superfoods, very safe, very easy to take. Um, they basically nourish goodness in your body. They nourish your, your treasures, according to Chinese medicine, your qi, your blood, your yin, and your yang. So what would be an example of a tonic herb that we're, ginseng, that we're familiar? Okay, ginseng, ginseng great example. Ashwagandha, uh, tulsi, Slightly more obscure. Ashwagandha, I think, is one of those things that people in the wellness community just like toss the word around yeah. and now we kind of all understand it's a calming herb yeah. and people outside the wellness community are like what is that four syllable word that people use that now has been in like an SNL sketch because it's kind of this like it's like sort of this mm-hmm. joke but it's I think it's it's rising in yeah. its level of exposure and I understanding so. and I think but ginseng I think is a great example of something that people already know and didn't realize that they knew it and, and and I think there's like a kind of a, like you said, there's a general vague idea of adaptogens, but then there's a more finessed idea about what adaptogens do. But so, but tonic herbs, for instance, are like, uh, uh, like basically nourishing, basically boosting, basically supporting, and they, they nourish the treasures, the chi blood, the yin and the yang, and you anyone can take them at any time and the therapeutic window is huge so the the dosage that like that's considered the helpful dosage versus the harmful dosage mm-hmm. is like is enormous for tonic herbs and they've been used for thousands of years N- now just next to the tonic herb category is medicinal herbs and that's kind of what a chinese herbalist will learn to use and medicinal herbs are actually fairly similar uh, in philosophy to prescription medications or Western drugs in that they're trying to get your body to do something. They're trying to get your body to shed something, detox, transform, or like adjust its functionality in some way. And they, and that in some cases, that can actually be somewhat stressful and challenging for the body. So you need more knowledge, you need more care, you need more education when administering or taking medicinal herbs. And tonic herbs are kind of are really beholden to that same kind of caution. So it sounds like tonic herbs are just sort of like a more consumer-friendly bunch and they're a little bit milder? I think so. Not necessarily milder. Like they can be pretty obtuse and powerful in their yeah. effects. Like you can get super stimulated, super sedated, super relaxed on tonic herbs, but they but they they tend to be like, you know, there's a bell curve for everything, but they tend to be like at the exceptional end of the bell curve with very safe, um, very few side effects, very few things that need to be balanced or considered or thought of when taking them. And so people can, you know, get away with almost blindly taking tonic herbs, which is why we see a lot of them 
in the in the you know the right. health products at GNC and yeah, vitamin exactly. shop yeah, like they're kind of, a, uh, kind of bleeding into these products right. and on some level the producers and the, and the manufacturers know that like these are herbs that it's hard to abuse them mm-hmm. and they um, a lot of gain and and just about you know no risks or no losses there with taking tonic herbs and what is an example of a medicinal herb that we might a, know a, about a medicinal herb would be like I guess uh, St. John's wort would be one okay. or turmeric actually turmeric goes into both categories like turmeric is considered a, a bit of a tonic herb, but it does stuff too. Like it thins your blood, mm-hmm. promotes microcirculation. But if you're going to go have a surgery, you want to stop turmeric 10 days before that surgery because it makes you bleed a little bit more. Right. We're not hmm. talking about just like turmeric powder. We're talking about an actual dose of right. like, right, picking something. Right. Yeah. Um, but like St. John's Ward is, a, is a, actually probably a better example of a medicinal herb. It, you know, it helps with serotonin, helps with depression, but it has some interactions. It has a toxicity profile mm-hmm. if you take too much. The liver has to metabolize it. And like those kinds of concerns are pretty absent from tonic herbs. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting that it, I mean, St. John's Wort, again, I think had its sort of commercial moment maybe yeah, 10, 15 years ago. Everybody's parents heard a news story about it and started taking it. I'm sure Dr. Oz had something to do with it. And no. That, and that is, to me, you're saying that the risks are higher, that you can have a stronger reaction. But, you know, I, I can guarantee that the the generation of people I knew that was taking it had no idea that that's something you're supposed to run past your doctor for sure. interactions. And like 15, 20 years ago when uh, when St. John's Wort kind of like bubbled up to the surface of the consumer and public awareness, um, I think people were uh, satisfied with much broader and vaguer strokes, uh, you know, delineating like, what should I take? What's mm-hmm. different? What's okay? What's not okay? And at that point, it it seemed for many people, and it, it still is a, a fairly reasonable alternative to prescription antidepressants. Um, mm-hmm. and. And you know, but as people started using it, and the kind of the the conversation got a little bit more nuanced, and and the research got a little bit more detailed, you know, it, it comes with some ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some contraindications for uh, St. John's Wort? Um, well, it affects some of the liver enzymes that process other medications, so it can increase or slow down the metabolism of other medicines towards their uh, active uh, uh, state or towards mm-hmm. their detox state, like the, your body trying to get rid of them. It, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it basically, it's, in, in my mind, most of it is on, uh, pertains to the liver. You want to mm-hmm. protect the liver and the liver's ability to deal with other medications and herbs. Okay. That's interesting. I bet so many people just had no idea and started taking it, you know, like they take a vitamin C. And then also, then going from top, yeah. uh, tonic herbs to medicinal herbs, you have adaptogens. And adaptogens, most of them are under the tonic herb category. They fairly universally safe and they can be taken by most people most of the time without any risks or issues or concerns. But the, the cool and interesting thing about adaptogens is that they support the body's ability to, like the intrinsic ability of the body to stay at homeostasis, to stay at that kind of optimal, balanced, safe, Functioning harmonious level, and by doing so, they help the body deal with all the you know all the challenges that come, the stresses, the illnesses, the toxins, physical, emotional, whatever it is. Like adaptogens help our body with the appropriate response, and it's and it's and probably the key thing is it's it's not a one directional response. Like adaptogens are known to like I'd say the 
the most common spectrum is the calming and stimulating spectrum. So adaptogens tend to nourish and boost and stimulate at certain doses, but at, at, at other doses, the very same herb can have an anti-stress, anti-anxiety, and a calming effect. And that kind of versatility is what differentiates adaptogens from regular herbs. But what are, so so adaptogens are can be plants they can be mushrooms yeah adaptogens can be plants they can be uh minerals they can be fungus they can be a variety of things okay um go on um well just sorry so just to drill down a little bit more and i know we don't want to get too granular but so they're they're kind of adaptogens you're consuming them they're basically like Scanning your body and saying like, okay, where do we need to either like heat you up or cool you down or adjust you? They're not really scanning the body. Uh, They have a kind of uh, like the way I think of adaptogens is that they have a, a a nuanced and and broad spectrum of influence, and it's and because they're not too obtuse or intense in any one of their kind of functional directions, they actually help the body's intelligence kind of almost like a smorgasbord or a buffet, pick what it needs and and respond to that moment. So it's not like a, an adaptogen it has properties, but not intelligence, but the body has intelligence. <laughs> and that intelligence of the body is able to use the, the kind of broad spectrum of m- micronutrients inside of an adaptogen to fulfill the thing it needs to fulfill in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, dosage does have a role. Like for, ginseng is a great example. Uh, uh, most people think of ginseng as an energizer and a, uh, something that improves like stamina and endurance and, and pep in a way and people use it maybe instead of coffee or to you know stimulate themselves and that's definitely a well-known function of ginseng but there's also research that shows and a traditional chinese medicine uh, writing that describes ginseng as being really good for like calming down and anti-stress and insomnia which seems to be at odds with its stimulating mm-hmm. effect but there's a dosage there like a small doses of adaptogens or ginseng for instance have that anti-stress anti-cortisol anti-adrenaline effect that lets the body deal with with stressors, but the higher dose has a more stimulating effect. And the interesting thing, though, about most adaptogens is even when we're using the stimulating effect, um, they tend to have a nourishing effect as well. So it's not just like taking too much tea or coffee or cocaine or amphetamines where a person gets stimulated and stimulated and stimulated and their body can't, can't hold that you know, indefinitely. With adaptogens, there's this kind of nourishing baseline a supportive effect that kind of finances that extra pep and that stimulation. So it's like a really, it's a, a fantastic balance. God, it's so complicated. It is I mean, complicated. it literally sounds like it's just magic. I mean, it's well, like, that's what, it, exactly. And I think that point, I mean, how do you know, right? Like, I mean, you really need to do this with guidance. Clinical it's not- experience is one, but then remember that adaptogens are pretty safe. Like a person can take a robust dosage of a, a single or a, a, a combination of adaptogens, and they're gonna be okay. They might, but the beauty of it is because it's very much like kitchen table stuff in terms of accessibility and safety. As people like you know try ashwagandha or ginseng or reishi mushroom or cordyceps for the first time, and then they see how it feels and they take it for a week or two, and and they can kind of play with it. They form a relationship with it, and a, and a, there's a kind of a they, they develop a vocabulary inside themselves for you know what works for me, what do I need today, and you know what are my challenges, etc. And they start to play with oh, like a little bit more of this or a little bit less of that, and it's actually a very independent and uh, autonomous way for people 
able to kind of take their the health regimen in their own hands rather than needing a you know an herbal or drug prescription to mm-hmm. be made by some herbalist or physician in a clinic that mm-hmm. they don't really have a grasp of what's going on you know as a consumer they're just kind of trusting and taking the herbs but with adaptogens it's like that kind of place where it really can bring it into a person's life and their home and their kitchen and just personalize it but do you feel comfortable saying that somebody who's never tried an adaptogen regimen before can just just they can start from wherever they are by themselves or do they need initial guidance from somebody in your position for example um I mean, I could rationalize both approaches, but like thinking about like the millions of people out there that don't necessarily have access to an herbalist or, or uh, you know, a resource that that can tailor make the conversation and the kind of the recommendation to them. I actually, I think adaptogens are, are like a green light for that. Yeah, like go ahead and and try them. I did have a question about, and I know we're getting off topic because we want to focus on mushrooms, but since we have you, um, ashwagandha specifically, because I've heard now from two different sources that I trust, both one in in Chinese medicine and the other in traditional medicine, that ashwagandha specifically is one that you, you can actually have too much of it, or there are contraindications depending on what else is in your system. So it's something that you should maybe get some guidance at least before you start. My doctor gave me an adaptogen prescription, like a little um, supplement, I'll show it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but she asked me before she gave it to me, she said, are you otherwise taking ashwagandha? And I said, I have a coffee blend that has a little bit of it in it, but I have very little of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, oh, okay, it should be okay. And right. that was actually surprising I to mean, me. I'm not sure exactly what they're referring to in terms of the specifics of dosage, but I think, I mean, unless a person is getting a, a product and taking half the bottle right, and right. kind of like being... Common uh, sense dosage. Yeah, yes. you, you need to have a common sense approach. But I... I actually think of it of, of ashwagandha as a pretty safe and versatile agent uh, herb, but obviously it goes yeah. without saying common sense is. But I don't like, for instance, if you if a if a bottle would say you know a standard dose is one capsule or or, or two capsules of this extract, and a person accidentally took two, three, or four, that kind of spectrum is not going to push them over their edge, right? Right, if especially. If they're taking a lot, lot more. I mean, right. also with ginseng too. We spoke, I brought up ginseng earlier. I mean, if you take, you know, forty ginseng capsules, you're going to be bouncing off the walls and sweating and not having a good time. <laughs> but again, common sense approach sure. and kind of being sensible and responsible, but knowing that, but that, that there's a window there where you can safely play with it. Right. Does, does, does that yeah, answer your question? totally. And there, you know, it's a loading process, right? So this isn't like I think people have this idea that if they take right. One, you know, capsule of whatever it is, whatever adaptogen or, or you know, herb that they're going to feel the effects immediately. Immediately, right. but in fact, this is like a slow build, right? To um, truly feel, feel the effects. Absolutely, and but there's a few scenarios there, like. In some cases, like if a person comes to me and they're in acute stress and their body is in breakdown and it's a crisis mode, I will start them at a robust dosage of any herb, um, whether it's an adaptogen, a nootropic or a medicinal herb appropriately, sensibly. But it'll be a robust dosage to kind of address what's going on in that crisis moment. Um, If a person is coming in with a more chronic issue or even just a curiosity or if a a consumer has a, a curiosity, they're absolutely slow and low is a good way to go. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that also makes me think of a, 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 these last couple of uh, questions and points. A big thing in Chinese medicine is formulas. 
we combine herbs together. Mm -hmm. So in in the West, with medica prescription medication, over-the-counter medication, even in Europe with uh, uh, Western kind of herbology, there's a lot more of a use of single agents. But in Chinese medicine, and I think it's one of the biggest strengths of Chinese medicine, is we love and we uh, kind of respect and lean on the value of a formula where you're putting several agents together, several herbs together that kind of, they might mimic, overlap, and accentuate each other's properties, but you can fine-tune and finesse the individual dosages there and get a synergy towards your therapeutic or clinical goal without needing to overindulge in any one substance. Mm -hmm. Like a good example of that is, like say you are using an herb to energize and you, you if you're going to use one herb you might you know you might use 20 or 30 grams of that herb as a single herb but if you were to use five or six similar herbs that have similar functions and that address different aspects of fatigue and bringing energy into the body etc and you can use each of those at five or six grams each you right there. You see, you have a much lower dosage. Mm -hmm. You're deeper into a therapeutic window, further away from any toxic uh, overload. Overload, right. for instance, and and that you get this idea of synergy, where the individual effects stack in a multiplying effect mm. or a multiplying manner, rather than using a maximum dose of one agent. Another aspect of that is. Uh, you know, the human body gets used to things, you know, mm -hmm. whether you drink coffee or whether you take a medication or or what have you, after a period of time, depending on your metabolism and, and your condition, your body will get used to it and you might need more of it. Right. And so when you, with, 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 well, one with herbs, each individual herb has hundreds or more individual molecules inside of it that are all working together. And when you have a formulaic approach where you use several herbs or mushrooms together that are working together, you are addressing a symptom or a problem from different angles. And so the body has less of a chance to get exhausted on any one metabolic mm -hmm. right. pathway. Yeah, it makes sense. It's sort of like applicable to almost any drug, right? Or you build alcohol, up it's just like you build up your tolerance. Um, you, know, you know how many Valium I can take? Look at me, I just took like 20. <laughs> Um, but so could we, I just want to go back for one second to this sort of idea of, I like to get as many definitions of adaptogens as possible okay. because I've heard it defined so many different ways. And it is always sort of like some visual cue that does it for people. But I like the example of, you know, so we're consuming these adaptogens because it's, we're trying to, um, harness their, their power in the same way that the plant will use it. Right. So the idea that plants can't move. Right? They can't like get up and run away. So they release these different compounds to help them adapt to their environment, to the stresses around them, to their predators, to whatever it is. So it could be a poison, you know, to sort of keep something, whatever the compound mm -hmm. is, you know, exaggerating a little bit. But um, I mean, is that the correct way to think about it? Or how do you how do you I mean that's a very elegant illustration? I I I don't happen to have thought about it that way, but it absolutely resonates and and makes sense that absolutely because plants don't have a lot of wiggle room and they have to adapt to their environment. Absolutely. One thing that will come up as we when we talk about mushrooms, there's some mushrooms that grow in very specific cold and harsh environments. Mm -hmm. And part of that kind of robustness of the mushrooms, according to Chinese medicine, the, the idea of corresponding signatures, um, that quality is imparted to the person who consumes those mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So like if, so say the mushroom or the ginseng grows high in the harsh mountains of China or Siberia or Northern Canada, then th what it needed to do to survive in that climate is the kind of 
uh, molecular or nutritional profile that you ingest. Right. And, yeah. and it gives it to you. So, I mean, that absolutely resonates. That's, yeah, that's sort of how I think about it. Um, and that seems helpful just to imagine a plant that literally is like, Putting on a jacket. Yeah. <laughs> putting on a jacket. Maybe putting on some sunglasses. Um, and like the interesting thing, thing, I mean, since we're here to talk about mushrooms, mushrooms grow in like dark, cool, damp places. They like it's very unique. It's like kind of the signature of death, right? Mm-hmm. Like they in rot and decay. And yet they thrive with explore. Like you, you go away, you go from a place and then come back the next day and there's mushrooms mm-hmm. everywhere that yeah. can explode with growth. And like that robustness that quality again is part of why they're such amazing medicinals because we the the the, the molecules and the secretions and the you know nutritional structure that allows them to do that our bodies take that and it's like woohoo they're powerful right, and it's, it's, it demonstrates it's, their power it's, right before your eyes yeah and it's so it's so unfortunate i think that at least in this culture well probably all cultures they're so um only associated with sort of death and decay and decomposition. And in fact, they really should be associated with life. I mean, they're literally like... Well, transformation, I would right, say. Transformation, right, transformation. Yeah. Which is such another powerful just visual, uh, how they will literally like break down an entire forest and like pave, pave the way for new life to grow. I mean, you mentioned the power of mushrooms. Like the one thing that crossed my mind is like, in whether the good, the bad, or the ugly of mushrooms, like they're pretty exceptionally powerful. Like think of like psychedelic mushrooms, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for people who have tried them, like this, you know, the the uh, the mental and emotional repercussions are profound. Like they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Like they're really intense and beautiful. If you think about poisonous mushrooms or toxic molds, you have like illness. Uh, organ failure, you have death, right. Right. Possibly, like really intense. Right. And then when you think about medicinal mushrooms, like I think more than most any other category of herbs or botanicals, like when you see the research for mushrooms and how they can transform cancer care, how they can transform like a completely decimated immune system, um, and how like more almost more than any other category of of natural substances, they like they kind of have this signature of survival. Like they help the body survive, whether right. adaptogenically to stress, whether to a collapsed immune system, whether synergizing with chemotherapy to help people respond to chemo and radiation during cancer treatment. Like they have, mushrooms have this really powerful effect that's not typical. You know, it's not yeah. it's not usual. And 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 you know, I think that there is some really fun um, information out there. But what we were just watching this movie uh, called Fantastic Fungi that just came out, which is. Um, a great sort of 30,000 feet like overview of mushrooms, like medicinal and a little bit of psychotropic, but the the um, sort of lead figure in the film, this expert, um, his mom had been diagnosed, it's like a very quick story, but his mom was diagnosed with, uh, I think it was stage four cancer and had tried a bunch of different therapies and they were just kind of like throwing their hands up in the air. And as she was walking out the door one day, they were just like, well, you might want to try this thing called turkey tail mushrooms. It's been known to have like, very good anti-cancer properties. Mm-hmm. So she's like, oh, my son is a mycologist or mushroom expert. She goes home, he puts her on, you know, he's like, of course. Puts her on a very high dose of turkey tail mushroom. She's six, like four in the morning, four at night. And like a year later, she's totally cancer free. I mean, it's just like, you hear yeah. these types of stories. And it's like, oh my God. I mean, turkey tail is one of the most researched mushrooms. And it has these so um, the that these kind of anti-cancer and immune boosting effects of the mushrooms come from a molecule called a polysaccharide, mm-hmm. which is like a complex sugar. 
very different to the simple sugars we get in our candy and our kind of processed modern food. Um, and and they really turn the immune system on. And they re- have like indirect effects against cancer by supporting the immune system, the interleukins and the tumor necrosis factors and the macrophages and natural killer cells. But they also have direct cancer killing effects where the, sub- the substance of the the mushroom extract will kill the cancer cells on its own in many cases and even amplified more when combined with chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Which is just Amazing. insane it's to absurd. think about. It's, it's just it's like mind-blowing that we don't, that we don't talk about have it. more access yeah. to or a better understanding of the power of these mushrooms. And I think, I don't know if this, this stat is exactly right, but we do know that large part of pharmaceuticals are derived from mushrooms. And the reason that we don't know them as consumers is because it's not really built into any of the brand names. It's not patentable. So it's, you know, like penicillin is... Best example, right? Right. So they're very powerful, but we don't associate the two, at least in this culture. I mean, that, that culturally, that might be the thing because in Asia... People love, trust, and lean on mushrooms. Mm-hmm. In Japan, they, like uh, in cancer hospitals and cancer departments, they are given reishi mushrooms mm-hmm. and they're given uh, purified uh, uh, extracts as uh, IV infusions along with their cancer care. Wow, um, right. And look at the rate of cancer that they have in other countries compared to us. Right. Yeah. I mean, America's pretty ahead of the world of chronic degenerative disease. Yeah, we're doing really well disease. in that category. <laughs> Nice job, America. Nice job with the cancer. Uh, but before, sorry, before we get into the, because we're gonna we're gonna name some of these mushrooms, yep. and then we're gonna tell you the amazing things that they can do. But before we do that, could we just define the difference between? So we did herbal, right? Tonics. We did uh, medicinal uh, mushrooms. Could we do, could we talk more about um, nootropics? Nootropics. Yes. Because uh, nootropics and adaptogens. Nootropics is another word that we're seeing more and more now. Okay. And I think there's a lot of overlap, right? Yeah. So, um, nootropics, uh, like the way I would think of them is like they definitely touch each of the other bases, but they also like the tonic, adaptogen, medicinal, but they also fall out of that category as well. So nootropics can be, can be herb, mineral, uh, synthetic, natural. It can be mushroom. It can be a drug, like a, nootro- a nootropic. A nootropic can be almost any variety of substance, but the one thing, the feature that they have in common is cognition and mental function. Absolutely, tea and coffee. Nicotine. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Amphetamines, Mm -hmm. um, for instance, but also ginseng, also mushrooms, also turmeric, uh, also... um, Paracetam, like which is a synthetic, so they're, they're like they they cover a variety, you know, a, a variety of kind of uh, ba- uh, I guess substances, but the, the the commonality is that they support cognition, memory, uh, creativity, emotional and mental endurance, and and they all do it in slightly different ways. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's some nootropics that promote circulation to the brain. There's some nootropics that are like brain food. There's some nootropics that are essential fatty acids that help the structure of the brain. So there's kind of there's many ways to satisfy that um, that function. And, mu- and a lot of mushrooms, as you as you research mushrooms and you look into the effects and you see the immune effects and the anti-cancer effects and the you know a lot of cardiovascular effects, but you also see the mental emotional effects. A lot of mushrooms have mild, moderate, or profound effects on improving the mind, the cognition, um, mental function, etc. All right. 
Let's get into it. Let's get into it now that we've taken our topic so we can concentrate. Yeah. I'm (laughs) totally focused, laser sharp. Let's just start with the cognitive ones or we'll start wherever you want to start. Um, Cognitive works. uh, Lion's mane. Lion's right. mane, well, yeah. Like kind of not the most popular mushroom. People don't really there. know about it. Um, they're not asking for it at the, at the grocery store, but like most of its research focuses on how it improves the health of the brain and the nervous tissue, but also the brain function, uh, mental activity, cognition, memory, recall, etc. It kind of looks like a brain. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It looks like a white loofah. It's like a spongy, round... Well, it also looks like a lion's mane, but yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, go on. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, so for lion's mane, um, the uh, a lot of the properties that it has are delivered through antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties. Um, so, like for instance, it helps with anxiety and depression, not because it affects neurotransmitters, but because it reduces inflammation in certain parts of the brain. The that process memory and emotions. Um, It also has uh, molecules in it that work like nerve growth factors. So they help the brain and the nervous tissue heal if you've had a a spinal injury, an infection, um, uh, a stroke. Mm. um, Lion's mane is fantastic for that. Within a few months of taking it, people notice the effects. Like it, it really is a tangible, like, you know, like you said, it's, you know, for some of these things, you don't get a, an immediate overnight effect. But if a person is taking a moderate, appropriate dose within a few months, they notice the difference. Also, on the flip side, when you stop taking lion's mane, within a few weeks to months, you'll notice a, a decline in those yeah. benefits, mm-hmm. which, which to me... It, the take home there is it's really important for people who want to get the benefits from these uh, mushrooms. You got to think about it as like something you take on a regular daily sure. basis. It's yeah. not like a Herculean effort and you take mushrooms once a season or once a month or what have you. You you work them in, whether you take a capsule right. or an extract or a tea or a drink or, or a powder or what have you. You work it into your daily right. regimen right. and you know, kind of like people used to take a baby aspirin because they thought that over the long term it would benefit their cardiovascular vascular health. You take some medicinal mushrooms on a regular basis and, and, and in the long term, it will benefit your health. But now lion's mane is one, because I know they're different depending on which ones we're talking about, but some of them you can only take as like an extract or you know, as a concentrated form, but lion's mane is I think one. you can take it as a food as I've well. I've seen it, yeah, prepared. Yeah. Oh, it's in like, my grocery store. Yeah, yeah. culinary. Them, yes, you can. I have cooked it. You have? It's a very... Um, it's, it sort of takes on whatever flavor you apply to it. It's very spongy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we have there. I mean, I have like a really sort of, it's like the schmancy grocery mm-hmm. store around the corner for me. But, you know, but, but yes. But I imagine that obviously culinarily, you're not getting any real cognitive benefits because the concentration just isn't high enough, um, right? Depends but, how much you eat. But I mean, I literally eat mushrooms every day because I just enjoy eating them, let alone right. the fact that I, mean, I take them in supplements. That's but. a really good point. And I, I mean, one way to think about it is it obviously depends on how much you eat, but kind of like compound interest and our retirement plans. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take a small amount of a substance over decades, mm-hmm. you reap the benefits. Like... In Asia, in Japan, before Asian women had a more Western diet and they would consume, you know, soy product, natural soy products for a lot of their lives, they they noticed that there's a lower incidence of breast cancer for those women. They're not taking extracts. They're not mm-hmm. taking concentrations. Right. They're eating a little bit of soy tofu. with their food, with their miso soup, with their sushi, etc. Um, you know, as a regular staple in India. 
with the turmeric, mm-hmm. they're not taking ca- you right. know, the ca- massive amounts or capsules or extracts. It's built into their diet. It's built yeah. into the diet, but they notice the anti-cancer effects and the cognition effects yeah. and the anti-inflammatory effects from those small amounts. So I, I actually don't think it's like a loss for a person. A person shouldn't think of it as a loss if they're taking a modest amount on a regular basis in their diet as opposed to having a highly concentrated right. approach to it. I mean, both. I like open. that compound interest <laughs> metaphor. That yeah, makes total good. sense. <laughs> I actually just read a quote from Steve Gundry and I don't remember the actual, you know, stat on it, but he literally was um, saying that like, if you consume three cups of mushrooms, literally culinary mushrooms mm-hmm. a day, it like reduces your chances of um, getting dementia by like, this was an insanely I'm sure. high percentage. Yeah. I'm not even going to attempt to say it, but it was, uh, it was, he was just speaking to culinary mushrooms, just All sort right. of like consume them on you know a daily, like, weekly basis. Pushing three cups a day. I think I do. <laughs> I'm definitely. Yeah. I love. Back, I just happen to love them. Going back to the thing you said earlier about like adding it to a diet versus or, or a meal or versus not. It depends on the the nature of it. Like some mushrooms are soft and spongy and mm-hmm. pliable and and easily cooked and chewable. But some mushrooms like reishi, they're like hard and woody. And like they have to be, if you get it wild, you have to cut it very carefully in slices and cook it for, boil it for many hours. Most of the the beneficial compounds in mushrooms are Mm water-soluble. So it makes sense to cook them in water. You can preserve them with alcohol later in an extract, but cooking them with water and having a water-soluble kind of matrix gets the most benefit out of them. And like things like cordyceps, uh, which is another mushroom we'll talk about, they're so expensive, mm. like several thousand dollars for a quarter pound that it makes sense to really like crush them, prepare them and cook them. You know, if you're making the raw herb for quite a few hours to, right. to make sure you get all the goodness out of them. Right. On the flip side, now that we have modern extraction processes and we can like basically like culture these in a, in a controlled environment, um, and the finished product is like a very fine, uh, absorbable, concentrated extract powder. Some of those concerns are, you know, are less obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to sit over the stove for four hours and cook your cordyceps and reishi soup, <laughs> right? <laughs> like Grandma did. Um, but I will say, just to clarify, like I think for some people who, because now I think it's coming more and more co- common to see these extracts show up in again, like snacks or food beverage. And um, I just want to make a point to say that this is not like, you know, if you see it in like a coffee beverage or if you see it in a whatever chocolate bar or something, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. This is not like a mushroom flavored coffee. It's not a mushroom flavored chocolate bar. It is literally a ground powdered extract. So you... you, Just like it would be ginseng or something else. Ashwagandha or whatever. You're not like, does it taste like ashwagandha? I think people are just like a little bit more gun shy because they see the word mushroom or coffee right. or mushroom chocolate and they think it's a literally like a mushroom flavored. I actually right. think but the that's coffee and chocolate confusing. mushrooms add this kind of like this fifth element yeah. of like of sort of depth. like the umami yeah, but like, uh, like what's, we need to come up with the umami word for mushrooms. It's just like the shroomami. Shroomami. <laughs> Because <laughs> I had some, the lion's mane this morning. That's why. <laughs> Did you eat your lion's mane? Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that's true. I think we. It's hard to draw the distinction when people have that. They get triggered by the word if they feel like they don't like eating mushrooms. Then they're like, "Oh well, I could never possibly, you know, drink a beverage that has them in them. I'd rather take a pill or a powder mm-hmm. because then it's clearly separate in their brain. So that's something that people kind of. Right. The more we try to help educate and get them familiar with it, the less, I think, fear factor there is with it. 
So let's talk about um, who should we talk about next? Yeah, cordyceps. cordyceps. So cordyceps is the caterpillar fungus. Um, it it's originally found in high mountains in Tibet and China, um, and basically it's a parasitic fungus. It uh, it uh, kind of enters or captures this little uh, indigenous caterpillar and completely consumes and overtakes the caterpillar's body with fungus. And at the end of the day, it sends this kind of uh, flowering bud of of mushroom out of the caterpillar's head. It's that is totally crazy. Bizarre. It is the I mean, weirdest still, thing when ever. You see it, it, it looks its, like a caterpillar. Yeah, it looks like a caterpillar. It still has the like, kind of tan brown color of a caterpillar with this kind of like elongated black almost teardrop growing out of its head. But it's it's pure fungus. It's it's you know it's it's pure mushroom. And like I said, it's extremely expensive. Although the, in China, we've the people of herbalists have always thought that the wild version always has, you know, uh, more benefit than cultivated versions or manufactured versions. But with mushroom extracts and the fact that we can uh, culture them now, cordyceps, even if you get it as a kind of uh, a man-made or man-cultured, not wild extract, it's still considered very powerful. It, it's a lot of people equate it to ginseng, but with more. Uh, beneficial qualities. Uh, most of its uses are endurance, stamina, energy, uh, healing and recovery from surgery, from childbirth, from infections and illnesses. Um, like all mushrooms, it boosts the immune system. Um, it, we think of it in Chinese medicine as being a yin and a yang tonic. So it has that balanced effect. So it kind of, even though it's powerful, it can be taken by most people most of the time for on an ongoing basis without too many risks. Hmm. It's insane. Yeah, there's a story, whatever. Stop telling my little stories. But um, there is, I think there are these uh, Chinese Olympic marathon runners and they basically just like crushed whatever the record was previously and won by a landslide. And then they had all, there was all the suspicion surrounding them and it was, you know, a lot of um, whatever. So basically they were tested and they're trying to see what these runners had taken. they were presumed to be doping. Yeah. And turns out, you know, they asked them, they're like, we just take cordyceps. We de- we take really, you know, for a long t- period of time, we take mega doses of cordyceps to prepare for these marathons. Yeah. And that's what they attributed their success to. And there's literally like nothing found in their, however they tested them. Um, so it, it's kind of a fun mm-hmm. story. Um, and it's pretty powerful stuff. Cordyceps is incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember as an acupuncture student having a sick grandma in Poland and purchasing a quarter pound of cordyceps and you know sending it to to the family and telling them how to prepare it. And it was really helpful. Like it was one of those things that it's like that extra little bit of help that for the body that, mm-hmm. that you know she and the doctors weren't you know expecting or counting on. And it's it, right. You know, meaningful. And worth the expense. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I think, again, it's probably worth noting that in this context, when we hear about things coming from China, right? you know, this is actually one of those, you know, cases where this, this, where 85% of mushrooms actually grow. And this is where they're meant to be. I mean, we can cultivate them pretty much. I mean, they grow everywhere, right? We could find a lot of these mushrooms in like Central Park, but um, more often than not, they're coming from China because uh, that's like, not in a bad way. Right? <laughs> this isn't like we're importing like weird cheap plastic bags from China. It's sort of like the thing we should be importing from China. Um, are there mushrooms? Would you agree, Paul? Um, complex no? question. Okay. I think in general, like uh, Asia's appreciation and yeah. depth of study and horticulture and extraction 
for mushrooms is far beyond what we have here. So I, I think they're ahead of us in that way. But I mean, with with all things Chinese that you consume, you know, there's also like with herbs as, as well, especially like there's the kind of the safety profile and and toxicities and contaminants. And mm-hmm. China is not as robust as in their third party lab testing yes, as we as, are, as, yeah, exactly, as we so. would like them to be. And for instance, you know, one of the arguments for going for a more modern uh, extraction, not an extraction process, sorry, going for a more modern cultivation and uh, fermentation process where mushrooms are cultured um, is it takes out this kind of the the middleman and that need for for, uh, monetization for, Mm -hmm. for that substance. So, you know, like sometimes when you would buy, you know, this is the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but when you would buy raw cordyceps, you'd see like little sticks and wires stuck into the body of the, of the caterpillar. And, you know, the, the, the uh, clerk at the herb store would say like, oh, that's to keep it intact. But you also see that it's adding weight, right? Because mm. the weight is so valuable. Mm. And so you wonder like what, you know, what Because else? they're selling it by the pound. Yes. yes. So what else could they be doing to make it heavier? Right. It's right? like what they do with the um, jumbo shrimp here and they just like add water, like saline to it. What? Like, you don't it know out. that? No. Yeah, they blow it out. Uh-huh. Those jumbo shrimp guys, full saline. They do the same thing with chicken breast. I thought it was just antibiotics. No, like, uh, I think that's probably in the actual... That's what makes them grow as fast as they do. Yeah, no, but like at sale, like they're actually... Really? I know. I don't buy jumbo shrimp anyway, but... Well, you know, those U12. Yeah. uh, Sometimes they're... um, Just pumped up. Yeah. Anyway, it's the same. Right. It's It's like like when I used to buy portobello mushrooms at the supermarket before I knew, I would always take off the stems... And only buy the caps. And I got called out so hardcore once by this, the woman checking me out. She's like, nobody's going to buy just the stem. You have to buy right. the whole mushroom. Like, you know, so anyway. Yes, it's by weight. It's uh, valuable. Um, anyway, what we're talking about? Cordyceps. <laughs> Cordyceps. Cordyceps. Yeah. Caterpillars. Anyway, well, so, so, well, we were talking about sourcing. Right. So, I mean, for the average consumer... How I mean, diligent. the average person isn't going to spend $4,000 for a quarter pound of cordyceps. Right. right. But, how, but how diligent does the average consumer need to be about understanding the source of their mushroom products? I mean, if it's a reputable company, if, the, if you know, they look at the literature on the website of the company, if there's like GMP right. manufacturing practices... And, you know, there's a, a, a kind of a narrative of accountability and quality there that, you know, you know that's, that's the starting place. Yeah. Right? You want to see that it's like hopefully organic and third-party lab tested so that they could maybe produce some sort of white paper to show that there's no like crazy level of heavy metals in there. Exactly. It does come from the ground. Yep. Um, I got lead in my backyard as does everyone else in Brooklyn. I mean, it's a real thing, you know? I mean, it's not like it's just in China. It's everywhere. Um, So yeah, to be diligent about that piece, I think is super important. Okay. Well, who's next? Rishi? Reishi. Let's talk about reishi. Uh, so, the queen. So like reishi is like one of the first medicinal mushrooms that I tried. So I have a particular affinity for it. I, I like it a lot. Um, it's, it's kind of like the, even though there are other mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms in the recent years that have come out with wonderful and compelling research, like reishi is kind of like the, the queen bee. Like it was like one of the first obvious mushroom extracts that curious Westerners had access to. Similar profile, like 
you know, it's an adaptogen. It helps with energy and stamina, but it also helps like with stress and anxiety and depression. Um, a lot of hermits and monks and reclusives would use it in the mountains as they're trying to seek peace and enlightenment. Mm. And I think when people take reishi within a few weeks, they, they definitely feel that chill out effect from mm-hmm. the reishi. There's, you know, different colors or different types of reishi. There's like red, uh, purple, and, and black reishi. The, the red and the purple are considered to have uh, more uh, health benefits and medicinal compounds in them. Um, the uh, the um, seeds of reishi are also a product that people use these days. And in Chinese medicine, anything that is a seed has like uh, is considered to have like this kind of exceptional, uh, seminal, foundational property and energy and concentration of the products or the reishi seeds or spores, I should say. Oh, yeah. The reishi seeds. spores are considered like this, like uber tonic, like really, mm. um, a, a really powerful booster. And cannot be taken culinarily, as you were saying earlier. Correct. They're big and woody. Um, and-, and Yeah. And like the reishi mushroom itself, it's like, it looks like a, a kind of a semi-circular glossy shard of wood growing off of the side of a log mm-hmm. or a tree. And the, where are those primarily found? Um, uh, originally in Japan, mm-hmm. originally in Asia, but uh, again, like they're cultured now all over the, mm-hmm. uh, where, wherever people choose to do so. I don't know if you guys have seen in Whole Foods even, they, I don't know if in all Whole Foods, but in our one in, in Gowanus, near <coughs> our place, um, it, uh, there's like this kind of refrigerator with a special blue light and, and they have these sawdust looking kind of... Uh, Sacks and uh, they're culturing mushrooms off of them. Really? Yeah. Wow. At the third and third? I think so, yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that. Like, oh, that's by the cheese cool. Counter. I wonder if it's a farm shop. Oh, by case. the cheese counter. Interesting. Okay. So not where the produce, because they have, they have quite a few mushrooms. Actually, you know where they have a very impressive array of mushrooms? Is it? Tell um, me. Is it uh, Wegmans? Oh, really? Yeah. Um, they have a there. lot. You can't go there? At the moment. No, it's just open. It's insanity. Oh. That you meant you're like not allowed. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, I was kicked out because I was taking all the stems off the mushrooms. <laughs> Did you yell at someone there? <laughs> um, wait, uh, I just have one question though, because you just mentioned cheese and it made me remind me of the question I wanted to ask. Um, so, one of the issues I think for a lot of people is mold, right? And they can't consume mold. Right. How do we think about that in the context of? medicinal mushrooms because surely this is not all like fungus is mold and mold is bad. Right. A really good point. Really good question. So, I mean, I think in, in cheeses, they're not necessarily uh, infused with mold that is healthful or, you know, it's more for flavor. Right. right? But, uh, but yeah, all, not all funguses and molds uh, similar. There's some that are highly toxic. Like I said before, there's some mushrooms that'll kill you. And there's black... Very, very small percentage. I'm right. Gonna, but but, yeah. that, but yeah. they exist. Like that, that it, yeah. is a thing. So some people, it, you know, people in America and the West might have that as a notion, be like, I don't know about these mushrooms yeah. because I've heard blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and, you know, some molds make wonderful medicines like penicillin, mm-hmm. right? And some molds like toxic black and green mold are, are, you know, highly noxious to human beings. I've also encountered this with people who have a chronic yeast and candida mm-hmm. and they're worried about taking mushrooms because mm-hmm. they feel that a mushroom will feed a mushroom or a fungus will feed a fungus. Right. And it, it, it really doesn't work that way unless a person is specifically allergic to a mushroom or to mushrooms and they cannot eat it in the way a kid might be allergic to a peanut or someone is allergic to dairy or, or, or what have you. Um, the fact that it starts as a fungus uh, uh, 
it doesn't change the fact that the, when your body, when you consume a mushroom and your digestive system breaks it down, you're extracting these polysaccharides, these complex sugar chains. And that's what your body is using. It's not like your body is like drowning in this abyss of fungus that it's like feeding, you know, a yeast infection or, or, or a fungus that you might have growing on your skin or in your body or etc. But these polysaccharides that are breakdown products of mushrooms are exceptionally stimulating to the immune system. And some of these mushrooms that we're discussing today are even shown to have antiviral, antibacterial, and antifungal effects in, in the humans. Right. So, so a it's, mushroom that has antifungal effects. Right. Interesting. Yes. I think that's like incredible. That's actually cordyceps. So yeah. like, oh, cordyceps. Yeah. Really, okay. Like cordyceps is really good at, at staving off infections. Like it's really good for like boosting the part of your immune system that will, is supposed to and should step on any invading pathogen. Mm-hmm. And so right. the, the notion that like taking a fungus is, is like, uh, Gonna, you know, adversely affect a, a fungal infection is erroneous. or contribute to like the you know molds or yeast whatever Correct. growing in the body is not true. That's not the case. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you for clearing that up, um, Dana. If you're listening, I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was my that was my two fungi do not yield a third fungi. Uh, no, well, I have. You know, it's funny. I kind of started thinking about that differently when I was the clean diet, for example. Mm-hmm. Like his the protocol. A lot of these sort of detox diet. I was often surprised to see mushrooms on the list, the list of the no no list. No, on the foods that you can eat. Oh, oh, oh. And that made me just sort of look like, okay, this is not actually just like fungus and mold and yeast. This is like a right. different. You know, like culturally, another little element is like in India, though, like foods are uh, substances and activities are categorized by whether they're kind of neutral or bring you towards the light or bring you towards the darkness. Mm. And like these kind of, and mushrooms are put in the category of like this lower and darker quality. Where And, and it's interesting because if for me, I like thought as a meditator, I you know, think about these things and onions and garlic also happen mm-hmm. to be in that category and meat and heavier subs, you know, food substances are in that category. But if you like kind of think about it, like, um, a, a mushroom, for instance, or onions and garlic, which we know have so many antimicrobial properties, so many antiviral and immune augmenting properties. In a way, like the the more you strengthen your physical body, like the kind of the more present you become in your physicality, and that's kind of different to being like out of it and like only lofty and only in the in the sky and only. Does that make sense? Like, right. You have the earth, and then you have the yeah, stars. Yeah. So like in a like in a way like approaching kind of enlightenment and pure spirituality at a certain point the body doesn't participate at a certain point when it's pure spirit right mm. there's no more body there mm-hmm. right right it's just pure spirit pure yeah. consciousness and so the so things that kind of strengthen your body and like uh, improve your body's ability to survive on this physical plane mm. like in a way they kind of kind of competitively uh, inhibit you know, certain other functions, certain other aspirations. I don't know. Well, if no, I, I think it's that. all, That's it's like all very, uh, balance. It's all mm-hmm. about trying to find that sense of homeostasis. You need the darkness in order to have Absolutely. the light. You need to have that sense of groundedness in order to be able to have Absolutely, the yeah. ethereal. I mean, I think a lot of people from, jump into spirituality with like gung ho meditation and gung ho uh, retreats and ayahuasca and mm-hmm. you know sweat lodges and, and things like this. But a really important part of it is actually to eventually filter it through the temple of your body and like the incarnation and the physicality of your body, which some of these kind of uh, quote unquote lower vibrational foods like uh, mushrooms, onions, and, mm-hmm. and garlic do, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. right? 
I mean, what's better than mushrooms sauteed with onions and garlic, garlic all together? <laughs> herbs, like yes. the most grounding, just stick me in the dirt. It's and so delicious. Yeah, it sounds amazing. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love that example. I think that's a good um, Okay, who's next? Do we have, we talked about turkey tail a little bit. We have chaga, we have... Mataki. Mataki, yes. Uh, so mataki, uh, great reputation, a lot of research. The things that stand out are immune system and beta-glucans. So, so these polysaccharides that just really, ex- you know, accentuate and accelerate immune function. A um, lot of research for cancer care. A uh, lot of research showing mataki mushrooms directly inhibiting cancer cells on their own without anything added. And that is even That's improved amazing. when you add conventional chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Um, and that there's an interesting uh, uh, notion called sensitization. And so there's some herbs and there's uh, a lot of these mushrooms, they sensitize uh, pathogens and cancer cells to the deleterious effects of the regular therapies, the chemo and the radiation therapy. And so it, on the one hand, they strengthen your body and protect your immune system and protect your healthy cells, but they make the vulnerability of the cancer cells more vulnerable mm. to the chemotherapy, to the radiation therapy. And as a clinician, so many times, you know, this is not an absolute, but so many times I've had people come in who are taking regular Western medical cancer treatment, which I'm a huge fan of. I think it's important. And, and you know, there's, there's not viable... Uh, 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 alternatives that are standalone alternatives, but when when these people come in and they're not doing so well, when they start to get on herbs and they start to get on mushrooms and this kind of immune boosting and supportive, you know, boosting what we call the upright chi, the good chi in the body, it's really interesting how they start to do better. More often than not, they start to respond to the therapies that their oncologists are giving them, and it's really amazing and important. Fascinating. And again, I feel like it's information that I wish we had had in greater exposure and, and greater um, access to, you know, years ago, because it's, we've been on, you know, we've been in this phase, I think, for 10, 15 years in our Western culture of seeking, you know, therapies through food and, and herbs, but certainly not, you know, something that feels like it's this powerful has has really been available to us as common knowledge. Yeah, I mean I think we've adopted this, you know, idea that it's so all or nothing um, you know, in America especially when you're dealing with these insane, you know, issues or conditions like cancer and like either you go the chemo route or you go the totally right. opposite route. Right. You know, um you, you go to an island and just you know, do juice fast, whatever. So you're, right. But I, I think it's nice to, to remind people that these can work in tandem and that they're I, oftentimes very complementary. I think that's like absolutely the key to the approach. I think it's foolish to think that, you know, you, you can treat an aggressive cancer with ginseng and turmeric and, and alone and, and yeah, and, and licorice alone, right? But having said that, the powerful, but, you know, still fairly barbaric approaches of Western medicine, they're powerful enough to to treat cancer, but they also decimate the body. They decimate the immune system. Mm-hmm. And there's that gap, that kind of void that Western medicine, like, I mean, like, and I often say this to patients, like, they say, like, why hasn't my oncologist told me about this, that, mm-hmm. or the other? And my response is, you know what, when you have access to a nuclear button, you don't really care about the ninjas and the snipers and the and the and the little oh, things on the ground. Like, <laughs> right. like you just press that button and you blow the hell out of it, right? And but 
And that works for some people, but for some people, it doesn't work. For some people, they can't tolerate it. For some people, it's not quite enough. Right. Um, as powerful as it is, it's not quite hitting exactly what they need to be addressed for that, you know, for their cancer to be uh, 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 cured or treated or resolved. And so as an alternative, you know, adjuvant clinician, we try to like see it when a patient comes in, like what is, where are they suffering? Like what is it, what extra help does their body need? Mm-hmm. And I'd say, you know, I mean, not to give mushrooms too much credit, just about every single cancer case that I see, I will recommend mushrooms to them. Mm-hmm. Specifically and, maitake? No, like or a, just a formula, a, whole, a, yeah. a mixture of mushrooms. Yeah. Going back to that Chinese medicine principle, they, they all have slightly different pros and cons that generally go in the same direction. And so you can finesse, you know, the kind of uh, the, 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 the synergistic benefits and outcomes of putting multiple mushrooms together and I think for a better effect than using even you know just one mushroom or right. you know and maitake also culinarily is hen of the woods right yeah, so you can eat it. and it's very delicious I feel like that's oh my god like, it's my favorite to put uh, just maitake on a grill yeah. it's just like the most little, amazing thing a little bit of butter a little salt um, yeah <laughs> um but it's interesting that there are some that really do have that amazing overlap. I think shiitake is another one of them, yeah. um, and others. You know, as you were saying earlier, it's just not you're not going to get you're not going to get the benefit, or you're not going to get a nice culinary experience. But maitake seems like you're winning yeah, all the way. Seriously, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting thing about maitake, you mentioned shiitake, which is also culinary and many health benefits. But maitake mushrooms. The interesting thing about the beta glucans in maitake is they're most effective when you take them orally. Oh. So like shiitake mushrooms, a little bit more benefit when they're purified and, and infused intravenously. But mataki is like really like down home, accessible and beneficial. You, you cook it and you eat it and it's done. That's huh. great. That's great news for steakhouse goers because it's on pretty much every menu I in New like York City. I of mataki mushrooms. <laughs> um, who's next? Chaga? Shady lady. I was going to suggest Chaga because um, so damn impressive. So uh, Chaga grows in extremely cold and harsh environments. Siberia. Northern Europe, Russia, Korea, North Canada. And, and it's the parasite as well, I believe. And it just it survives. And as you were saying earlier, like what it does to survive and its structure when we eat that, when we consume that, again, this is not one that you, 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 you slice and cook with butter. It's a kind of hard and an extract definitely helps. Although some people boil it and put it into tea, um, but it imparts that, that kind of stamina and robustness to the people that consume it. It has huge, it, isn't it just like insanely more? So we saw this chart where it had all these sort of spheres and it was calling out the antioxidant properties of these more well-known foods like blueberries and like pomegranates and um, like acai. And then, you know, they were all sort of these increasingly large circles. And then it was like chaga. Just and comes it was in literally and like sits just like on eclipsed all of everything. <laughs> it was just like on the planet. It like has the most... Super antioxidants, super yeah. anti-inflammatory, uh, antiviral, antibacterial. It stimulates the white blood cells. Like, the, the, like the, that first line of attack against pathogenic factors. Also used for stamina. Yeah. It's pretty insane. Yeah. Okay, who's next? I love chaga. And everything. It's fine, everything. (laughs) We got everything. Do we? I think we we got everything. Yeah. I mean, those are the big five anyway. I mean, those are definitely in in my top choices. And the good news is that there are now so many ways to get them, whether it's a tincture or a tea or 
um, in powder extract. Powder extract, yeah. If you're adventurous, you can go to Chinatown and. and well, that's you know, what's so interesting, right? Is that I feel like people, especially people in New York, if you spend any time in Chinatown at all, you walk past these markets and right you see those gigantic <laughs> barrels just overflowing with, I mean, they look like they look like alien creatures. They're vegetables that we've never seen before, and half of them are mushrooms. And you can really you can go and just experiment yourself. And to your point, I mean, because they're safe enough that you can use at your own discretion and really do your own experimentation. I feel like it's, you know, like, why would you not want to just go and play around with it and see how it makes you feel and make something delicious in the meantime? Absolutely. Yeah, that's my PSA for shopping in Chinatown. (laughs) By the way, there are Chinatowns in other major cities as well. Yes. Um, There are Chinatowns in other major cities as well. And another thing, have you guys heard of the stoned ape theory? Oh my God. Oh. You're like, oh, hey, we were going to talk about hey. this thing called stoned ape theory. You guys. Okay. Yes. Let's talk about stoned ape theory um, because it's effing fascinating. It's like one of my favorite so like, theories. I, I've been interested in mushrooms for a while as a clinician, but I only heard about this fairly recently from my friend Maceo. And, uh, and so there's this theory and it's somewhat controversial with historians and anthropologists, but it resonates with me. But um, it basically says that one of the factors that allowed primitive humans, prehistoric humans to evolve to what we think of as modern humans now was psychedelic mushrooms. And, and the idea goes that as, as early humans or pre-humans followed grazing animals as they migrated and they wanted to stay close to food sources and, and within survival, survivable climate, um, they were also, you know, in contact with the mushrooms that grew on the animal dung, on the yeah. animal poop. And periodically, they would ingest these mushrooms and have the experiences yep. that we have when we take psychedelic mushrooms. And and some like these kind of expanded consciousness, this expanded awareness, the ability to abstract uh, concepts and have imagination um, are all things that were like said to have like propelled this kind of like. You know, in a, over millions of years, but this like relatively rapid evolutionary phase of mm-hmm. humans, and you know, there's this kind of one occurrence that, that is an effect of taking psychedelic mushrooms called synesthesia, which is kind of, I guess, you, the equivalent of uh, seeing sounds and hearing colors mm-hmm. would be an example. You cross your right. senses. Uh, the, yeah, yeah the, the overlap of senses totally happened to me in college. <laughs> <laughs> like happened to me last month, <laughs> and and so they say that they the you know proponents of this theory say that that's that the the synesthesia was one of the key things that allowed these primitive prehumans to kind of develop the kind of uh, the nuances of of like thought and then expression that became that evolved into like language and speech as we know it today. Hmm. And I think that's a fantastic little way to think about, like, like we think about evolution has been this kind of like vague Darwinian, like over millions of generations, like adapting incrementally to like, again, vague environmental factors. But this is like really like it really... We were like pressed to different accelerated. It seems plausible because because we see animals of, you know, in the animal kingdom, these creatures and some of them are, you know, simple, some of them are advanced and some of them are clearly intelligent in their own way. But there's obviously a a leap between all other creatures and humans, right? Or even primates and humans. And to, to think that there's actually a pragmatic theory or mechanism for, you know, a, a possible way that this happened is to me, it's delightful. That's fascinating. And they really can't come up with anything. It's having like kind of a second 
win now, like the this theory, because um, they really just they can't point to anything else, like any other reason. Um, I mean, it's not, and uh, to be clear, it's not something that occurred overnight. Like, I, yeah. you know, in the research that I did over it, uh, it some people had said that, it, you know, it happened over a couple of million years, but in the whole evolution of animals and creatures on this planet, that's a small window. Sure. Very it's a small. very rapid time. And it's so fascinating to think about just how we're all, you know, like there, animals are all getting high on their own supply. Like yeah. every animal is seeking they're out some kind of crazy fermented, and- you know, uh, but they're all getting drunk some. One way or another, so I wonder, just like which animals are tripping in the woods. I like, feel like are raccoons are definitely tripping. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> they something. eat everything. <laughs> I know. And sometimes they just like oh, they're right to your face. <laughs> they're like, "What?" I love um, it. I love it. Yeah, it's really fascinating. It I love that theory. Um, all right. Well, should we all just go microdose? Yeah. All today, let's just go drink some fun tea. And I mean, see what if happens. we needed another, yet another reason to tip our hat to the old. Fungi kingdom. Yeah. There's another one. Stone apes. Uh, yeah. Can I give you one more? Yeah. Please, pile it on. Another interesting thing that I also recently encountered was, so plants take carbon dioxide from the air and sequester it into the soil. But when, when there's an, kind of an unspoiled, diverse uh, ecosystem of plant and, and uh, fungi uh, symbiosis, and where the plants, or the, f- the fungus is breaking down nutrients and giving nutrients to the plants, and the plants are giving carbon to the to the mushrooms, the capacity it's it's theorized that the capacity for these environments to capture CO two is about ten times greater than just pl- you know plant growth alone stripped of the mycelium and of, right. of the mushrooms, which very relevant to the conversation people are having about the environment today. Greenhouse That's fantastic. Gases. Yeah, like I a mean- tenfold increase. Mycelium can do so much more for greenhouse, right? So then, that's kind of, I, it's just amazing. We we didn't even really scratch the surface I know, on we like didn't mycelium, talk about mycelium and everything else. And I think it's such a, another interesting topic, but maybe for um, chapter two. two. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to this mushroom kingdom for sure. And you know, I think I think we have more in common as humans with mushrooms than we do with plants, right? I've heard that yeah. too. Or than we just, do with apes or something like that. Yeah. There's some crazy we need stuff. a fact checker maybe at the yeah. end of this episode because I'm going to throw around a lot of <laughs> bullshit stats. <laughs> but, you know, it's hard to keep track. Um, anyway, this is any any other delightful stories that we can Little add nuggets. to the I think that's all I got for you okay. today. <laughs> um, well, it's quite a bit. So thank you. That thank was you like so much. Very digestible. Super informative. Thanks, and guys. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com. Dot com for more episode info and check out our daily blend blog to see what we're drinking. <laughs>